Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence. Real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Welcome back to Think Orphan. Really excited for today. This is this is a uh, woman that I've been wanting to get on for a really long time. But before I get to that, I got to remind you, I'm Phil Dark. Just in case you this is your first time listening. And with me is my co-host, brother, friend, bearded man, Brandon Stiver. How you doing, Brandon? I'm doing good. I'm, I was. You just said, welcome back to Think Orphan. Normally you say, welcome no, back threw, to the I Think threw, Orphan podcast. I threw, you, I threw you off a little bit. I you, threw you uh, off a little bit. You know, as our, as our, as our listeners are aware, there's been a, a handful of episodes every now and then that I... Uh, I do solo or I do opening and it just, it doesn't sound the same. I, I, I can't, I can't capture your, your, your Dulce, uh, you know, baritone Dulcy. opening. Dulce. Is that even what you say? Dulce? Dulce? I don't even know what that means, but I like it. I like it. It sounds, just go it with sounds it, like it's a really good radio voice or something that you're yes. saying there. I don't know. I don't know what you, I don't, I don't even know if that's an insult. Dulce. I like it. I'm Dulce Tonsi. I'm taking it as a uh, as a compliment. Is that Spanish for candy? I, I think Dulce. it's something. It's it's something that we're going with. So thank you, thank yeah. you for that. How you been compliment. though, man? But yeah, I just you know, folks, I just thought I'd mix it up a little bit today. You know, just it's we got uh, Kimberly Quinley on, and she's from Thailand, and you know, I got my shirt that I'm wearing in honor of uh, the Thailand our friend from Thailand. I got this shirt in Thailand. It's a it's a it's a Bri Ram, I believe is the name of it. Uh, yeah, Bri Ram, and it's like the top team in Thailand, or has been historically. So that's in honor of Kimberly. And I'm doing well. I'm doing really well. Um, just got off a week down at Biola at the missions conference uh, with my daughter, who just got back from Nepal with the YWAM trip. Um, she was trekking for three months, saw some incredible things over there, saw some healings. Literally a deaf girl started hearing after praying for her. Um, lame men were walking. Uh, she almost got wow. stoned at one of the villages. Not really, but they were wanting to beat them up if they kept sharing the gospel. Um, seeing just people just being transformed by the gospel was pretty amazing. Hearing that from my my daughter. I mean, what what better thing for a for a dad to hear their their kid talking about sharing the gospel and the ends of the earth and uh, it just pretty pretty cool stuff. That's cool. That sounds like uh, the Book of Acts or something, man. That's, it it was. I mean, it was like awesome. it was crazy, crazy stuff that uh, that you know. I mean, it goes on. We just we don't see yeah. as much of it here in the states, and I think we kind of quash it a little bit um, or a lot, depending because uh, it's weird. It sounds weird, right? Like it, it's it's not not it's supernatural. It's literally extraordinary. It's not it's not what we normally see. So that was that was really cool. So I got to hear a lot of that uh, last week from her. And then here in at the at the car, I got to to hang out with my son there as well, see him play some soccer, get to see his team bonding together at the missions conference during worship. It was it was a sweet week. Uh, and on top of it, David Platt, Francis Chan, Lisa Pack, Rachel Kloss, like some really really powerful speakers, um, being able to to spend some time with them. Um, and uh, you know, for my old, my old, our old boy, uh, Rick Morton. I mean, he's not like old man, like he kind of is, but that's not what we're talking Animus. about. My old friend, um, you know, he he's been wanting to connect to me with David for a while, so it's fun to, to finally meet 
with uh, with with David meet him in person. I'd never met David in person. A lot of common friends, as you might imagine. So that was cool to, to just spend a few minutes with him. And um, it was great. It was just a good week. How about you, man? You spent some time at a conference too. Yeah, I was out in Boise. Uh, and uh, we were at the Exiles in Babylon conference, uh, which is put on by uh, Theology in the Raw, which is one of my go-to podcasts. If you guys are ever listen, list, looking for, you know, good, thoughtful Christian, you know, thought around uh, a variety of different topics. So we've been partnering with uh, Preston Sprinkle and, and his podcast for the last year or so on a couple different things and joined them out there for the conference. And, and it was awesome. It was It was so good. They had yeah, good speakers, um, you know, people that, you know, Eugene Cho, Matt Chandler, um, oh, who else? Justin Gibney, just really, just really solid uh, speakers and, and good topics. I mean, they had a symposium on, on uh, women in ministry, women in leadership, uh, people from the egalitarian side, people from the complementarian side. It was one of those, it was one of those, uh, you know, it was like a debate, but it was so loving and so thoughtful and they had a man and woman on both sides. And so that was good. They had a conversation. Sounds like you. Sounds like you. Yeah. In in a way. Yeah. So they had, um, uh, future of the church was one of the topics. My friend, Kevin Kim, who's the executive director at crazy love was one of the speakers Mm -hmm. for that did a fantastic job. Um, yeah. talked about disability in the church, which was, Mm -hmm. which was awesome and so often overlooked. Uh, so just lots of good topics, lots of good speakers, and it was great just to break bread, you know, with some awesome yeah, people. Really cool. So it was good. That's great. That's yeah. great. And little known fact, might be, I think it's little known. Uh, Eugene Cho was one of my fraternity brothers at UC Davis. So really? we didn't quite overlap. He left. He was only there for a short time because he was like super smart and he graduated super early. Um, but he was there. It was a semester before me. Um, yeah, so kind of a fun a little, guy. fun little, a really good guy. Little, yeah, got to spend some time. It was funny. That was another guy that I didn't meet for a while. We, we sat down at one of the, one of the conferences we were both at and, and, uh, great, great dude. Great. Really dude. great dude. So doing some really cool things. So, well, your, right, your man. daughter, your daughter was in Nepal and, uh, we are taking our listeners to Asia as well. Right. Not too far away. Not too so far. Not too we've, far. We've got Kimberly Quinley on today. As you mentioned already, she is with a uh, step ahead. Uh, which is doing amazing work in Thailand. She's really one of the pioneers in the family-based care uh, world. She's done a ton of work on a ton of different fronts. Um, As I was thinking, you know, going into this uh, episode, and we'll get Kimberly here in a minute, you know, we talk a lot about family-based care and, you know, some people are working, you know, for the last five years in this space, 10 years in this space. Kimberly's one of those people that's been working longer than just about anybody and really doing fantastic work. So uh, I'm excited to, uh, to, to get Kimberly in here. So let's do that. Let's do it. Well, Kimberly Quinley, it is a, a pleasure to have you on Think Orphan. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's actually our evening. Thanks for having me. Yes, that's right. Well, you're very gracious. Every time we have to uh, uh, stretch to the Southeast Asia time zones, that's we. those are the most gracious guests because here we are on the West Coast of the U.S. So thank you for staying up late. And and uh, I haven't even gotten coffee yet. So, so I'm like the opposite of you. Uh, but uh, 
Kimberly, can you uh, take a second and just introduce yourself to our audience and, and share, you know, what brought you into work with orphan and vulnerable children? Sure, sure. So I'm um, Kimberly Quinley from Step Ahead Foundation in Thailand. Um, I'm the co-founder and ex- executive director of that organization. Um, Step Ahead's vision is to see all children in Thailand growing up in safe and nurturing families. And we do that through four pillars. Um, four strategic pillars, advocacy, building capacity, direct services, and collaboration. Um, my journeys, um, starting with caring for orphans and vulnerable children, started back in the early 80s. Uh, I was a school teacher, and our church sponsored an orphanage in northern Thailand. And one year, the orphanage director came to Thailand, uh, came to America to visit, to Virginia. And I just felt called. I just felt called to work with orphans. And so I had my summers off. So I went for a summer and um, came back, fell in love with the kids as you do on mission trips. Uh, I was there for eight weeks and came back to Virginia, taught another year of school, and then packed up all my belongings, my apartment, and moved halfway across the world to work full time at that orphanage. And so as I was learning the Thai language and starting to understand what the kids were saying, I realized that they weren't orphans, um, that they actually had families. And then when summer would come, uh, they the orphanage would just kind of vacate. I mean, everybody would leave. They'd go home to their villages. And I remember thinking, this is odd because I thought they were all orphans. And so I began to understand that poverty was really the biggest push factor or lack of access to education. Um, and so anyway, I worked there for two years. During that two years, um, I I met a boy before I left actually to go to Thailand and he was a sponsor. Actually, he was a young man, I guess. He was a sponsor uh, of one of the children at the orphanage. And so he gave me this doll to give to this little girl that he sponsored. And I thought, well, this is a pretty nice guy. And um, so he came the next year to visit me, came another year to visit me, brought a diamond ring, and we got proposed. Oh, my gosh. Gosh. And so um, we've been married now, I don't know how many years, 36 years, um, 37 years. Um, So fast forward, sorry, I hope I'm not taking too long. but No, this is amazing. Right. So fast forward to 2004 in the eight. Well, okay, stop that fast forward. Um, So we got married, spent a year in America. I taught school again. And then we both felt called back to Thailand. And so we started Step Ahead, which was a micro finance organization at the very beginning. Um, And then I should say, even skip that over. Uh, We did church planting for like seven or eight years before we started Step Ahead in Southern Thailand, which was the most unreached place in all of Thailand. So anyway, fast forward to the 2004 Asian tsunami. We were busy getting step ahead, set up and going, and this big tsunami happens. And so we that's where we worked. So when we were doing church planting for those seven or eight years, we worked in Southern Thailand, which was ground zero for tsunami. And so, of course, our hearts were just torn. We went right down there and started working in relief and development and quickly found and saw that there were like 20 different groups that were starting orphanages along the coast. Um, And so we knew that wasn't an option that we wanted to do. And so we built child development centers 
across the coast to be uh, the coastline to be able to provide daycare services for children who were um, possibly orphaned. Some of them were actually orphaned. Some of them lost one parent. Some of them um, were living with relatives or grandparents. And so um, one morning as we pulled up to one of our child development centers, I saw an orphanage director um, on the doorstep with a clipboard getting ready to sign one of our little babies, a two-year-old in our daycare center. Her mom was dropping her off and this uh, orphanage director happened to be there and said, hey, you know, we know you're really struggling. We have an orphanage an hour across the mountain. Um, if your child comes to live with us, you won't have to worry about food or education. She can even go to college, university. And this poor mom, she was about, I think she was like 22 years old. She had a two-year-old. Her husband died in the tsunami. She's holding the baby, crying. You know, the, the register, she's getting ready to sign this child over to the orphanage. And I was in shock. And all of a sudden, I had this flashback of me, you know, many years earlier, recruiting children in tribal villages for the orphanage where I worked. Right. And um, and so I'm just like, what are you doing? And she said, well, you know, I I want to recruit. She didn't use the word recruit. I want to, you know, we're finding children that could fill our orphanage. And I said, no. So I looked at this mom and I said, do you really want to do that? And she is crying and she's like, no, but I don't know what I'm going to eat tonight. Right. Well, I said, okay, what if we make sure you have food to eat tonight and we help you find a job and we do whatever it takes so that you can keep your child? And she said, okay. So she kept her child. <laughs> we did not know that day we were starting a new program called Keeping Families Together. We have no what. And um, so... Well, then we realized, so this same orphanage director had gone to three of our other child development centers recruiting kids. And, you know, there was a part of me that was raging against yeah. it. And there was a part of me that was reflecting like, oh, my gosh, that was me, you know, 20 years earlier. I was doing that same thing and had I had no problems. I was doing the best I could do with the knowledge I had. Right. Right. So, um so anyway, we started with three little families. Uh, we called Orphans Promise up and said, hey, we need funding. We want to start this program called Keeping Families Together. And they partnered with us and we were able to develop um, a curriculum. Well, actually, the first thing we did was um, we sat down with our staff and we're like, okay, we know orphanages is probably not the way to go. But if we're going to support families other than just daycare centers, child development centers. How are we going to do that? So we just spent like six months looking at Genesis to Revelation. Like, what does the Bible actually say about caring for orphans and vulnerable children? And um, I knew very little about that. And so um, we saw these seven themes that were woven throughout the entire Old and New Testament. And we were convinced that keeping families together was the best thing to do. And so we we developed this curriculum and it's changed over the years, of course. And um, anyway, have worked with hundreds of families across Thailand and actually across the world. Orphan's Promise has taken our um, toolkit. I, I don't know how many countries, quite a few countries. We deliver a lot of training. But anyway, so that's how I started. Oh, my gosh. I'm sorry. I'm sorry it's so long, but... The, well, no, no. The, and the thing is, Kimberly, so... 
you know, our, our listeners won't know this. This is my, actually my first time meeting Kimberly and she's somebody that I have admired, uh, from afar. Phil, you, you knew Kimberly and, but some of the things that you just shared, I was like, oh my gosh, like I, so I, I was in Tanzania, um, for eight years. I spent the first two years working at an orphanage. So similar to you, uh, my wife and I got engaged during her short-term missions trip. So, so like there, there are some similarities even what you were just mentioning about like studying scripture to look at, you know, orphan care, adoption, you know, family care. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a huge part of the ministry that we went on to, to establish. So, so much in there, Kimberly. So, so by all means, as much as you uh, care to elaborate on any of these questions, uh, you have earned the right, uh, dear sister. So, um, you know, one of the things that I do want to uh, do kind of want to bear down into is, you know, that cross-cultural piece. So how many years altogether have you and your, and your husband or you spent in Thailand doing cross-cultural ministry? How many years? You might have to ballpark it. Okay. Well, you know, we'll just pretend I was 10 years old when I came. Well, I didn't want to give away my age here. But um, next year, I will celebrate 40 years in 40, Thailand. 40 years in Thailand. Okay, 40 years in Thailand. Now, uh, as as a former next missionary... Year, I mean, you know, I'm not there yet, but next year, 40 years. Well, okay, 39 is nothing to sneeze at. Um, so having been on the missions field, a little insight for our listeners that, that really kind of have that integrated. Sometimes missions is like a revolving door we would see people come in and they would hit like this two-year mark mm-hmm. and then they would just something would happen oh i feel god calling me back to the u.s which is amazing praise god those two years were probably very you know but uh i found that once we got up to year five year six it was like oh my goodness we're veterans when you find somebody that has been uh serving overseas for four decades that is like so astonishing and beautiful so uh, a tip of the hat i'm wearing my dodgers hat today so tip of the hat to you and your husband uh for doing such tremendous work over the years you know having uh you know considering that you have been living overseas for decades now i mean what insight can you give to people that are working cross-culturally or or maybe even that have interest in that type of global vocation yes okay good question um well the world doesn't need any more white saviors. Um, Amen. You know, I arrived 40 years ago with so much passion with the huge oversized white savior cape. I mean, I, I had the goggles. I mean, I was the typical white savior. And so I went into those villages, like I said earlier, rescued children from poverty and took them away from their families. Um, I think about Maya Angelou and how she helped me practice self-compassion years later, because you remember the quote where she says, do the best you can until you know better, then when you know better, do better. And there's a Proverbs, Proverbs 19.2 that says, desire without knowledge is not good. And one who moves too hurriedly misses the way, right? So. So I always encourage people, come with a calling, come with desire, come with passion, for sure. Leave the cape off, <laughs> right. but make the time to get prepared with a skill set that is needed in the country you are feeling called to work. I mean, do the homework. So many people come here to Thailand. You know, we have a crisis in Thailand with so many orphanages. And 
Um, I was talking to a friend the other day. She was flying from Bangkok to Chiang Mai and she was sitting next to somebody and she said, oh, what are you doing here? She goes, oh, I'm, I just moved here to open an orphanage in Chiang Mai. Well, there's over 200 orphanages in Chiang Mai. We don't really need one. But anyway, so, um, you know, I had no understanding that poverty was the greatest reason children entered care. I didn't have a social work background. I mean, I really recommend like getting some education and skills that you can actually be effective here. I mean, and and bring your heart as well and your passion. Um, but I didn't understand that the orphanage model was actually harming children. Um, Desmond Tutu says, and I'm sure you know this, that there comes a point where we need to just stop pulling people out of the river. We need to go upstream and find out why they're falling in, right? Yeah. And so all those years, I think I never took the time to do that. We're just plucking kids out of villages because they're poor or because they live in a grass hut and we think, oh my goodness, we could do a much better job. We have a cement building and fans and food three times a day. And, you know, so I think we need to come with an attitude to listen and learn and withhold judgment. I mean, look for things that are strong, not wrong in communities mm-hmm. and start there. Um, I think, okay, you're, this is really going to age me, but um, I don't know if you know Amy Carmichael, but she was a missionary in of course. And I think she said it best nearly 100 years ago. And I'm just going to read this quote that I prepared for you today because I think I knew you were going to ask me a question like that. And so I love this quote. I mean, it's kind of old school language, kind of like think of um, the uh, King James language, but I think it's really powerful. And it's the truth that she wrote 100 years ago speaks today. So here's her quote. She says, if I be little, those whom I am called to serve. Talk of their weak points in contrast, perhaps, with what I think of as my strong points. If I adopt a superior attitude, forgetting who made thee to differ, and what hast thou that thou hast not received, then I know nothing of Calvary love. Beautiful. Yeah. So that would be my comments to people who are coming to work in this field in a foreign country <laughs> yeah that's so good that's so good and you know i i have not lived uh i think seven weeks is the longest i have lived uh elsewhere outside the u.s so i am definitely the uh rookie amongst this group and the least experienced in that and yet uh have talked with a lot of people about it and um you know and so that's why when i hear people just do something i'm like do something really, really well with excellence after you've studied, after you know, after you understand, after you have talked with people, after you understand what's already going on there, after a lot of stuff, then do something and do something with excellence and do something incredibly, incredibly well for the glory of God. Right. And, and I think that that is, that is wise. That's a lot of wisdom there. And you, you know, you quoted some, uh, not just some slouches. Those are some pretty, uh, pretty big time, big time folks you threw out there. I, I actually didn't. I, I'm sure Desmond Tutu got it from someone else too, but I didn't realize that was who that uh, river analogy is attributed to. I've used that so many times. Now I got to throw it, start throwing out Desmond Tutu because that just throws way more credibility to it. So that's that's really cool. Guys. Um, so all right. So you you know you've hit on some of these things a little bit, but I just want to go in a little bit deeper. 
and um, onto onto some of these things that are really going on in Thailand specifically. And you've also worked elsewhere, but but specifically for Thailand right now. But can you provide us just with an overview of you know? And again, you decide, obviously this could be hours of conversation. So just a brief okay. overview <laughs> of the issues facing orphans and vulnerable children in Thailand, and really. What's the environment like there? What are some of the push-pull factors you mentioned earlier? You kind of use that. Maybe for our audience, share what, you know, you understand push-pull to mean too, because some people might not understand that 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 lingo. Um, really some of the push-pull factors that lead to children becoming separated from their families in Thailand specifically. Sure, sure. So, um, you know, like I said earlier, Thailand is experiencing an orphanage crisis. There's 120,000 children that... Um, are in residential care in over 700 orphanages. Now keep in mind the government only has 30 orphanages. So the rest of those all are mm-hmm. private um, with I think it's 68% or maybe more than that. I might I might have that quote wrong, um, that are Christian, half of whom are not registered. So working illegally. Um, but like everywhere else in the world, poverty is the biggest reason children enter care. Um, 15 years ago, when we, you know, started our KFT program, keeping families together, we shortened to KFT, not KFC, the chicken, please, yeah. but KFT. And um, we're more Chick Fil A people here, so yeah, no, oh, not right, KFC. Right. That's a Christian chicken. <laughs> I actually want Chick Fil A to come to Thailand. I don't know how to get them to open up business. For, but there's only one percent Christian, so they probably can hire all that. But <laughs> that's true. Anyway, that's like the first thing I do when I go to a Virginia is like I go straight to Chick Fil A. But <laughs> anyway, a little shout out to Chick Fil A there. Uh, so anyway, uh, sponsored by Chick Fil A today's episode. So that was very good. Good job. <laughs> so I think it was about 15 years ago when we looked at the push and pull factors. So when we talk about push and pull factors we look at, okay, pull. What are the things that are pulling children into residential care? Or what are the things that are pushing them into residential care? So obviously poverty pushes children into residential care because a family is poor and so they don't know what to do. So they drop their child off at an orphanage or in Thailand it's often the pastor knows of a child in a village or a community that, or their congregation that's vulnerable and so will show up. Um, In Thailand, another very interesting uh, uh, push factor is children of divorce or family breakdown. So we have 35% of children in Thailand live with only their mother and 22% live with their father and 20% of children are not living with either parent. That is one in four. Like, I don't know how many other countries have a statistic like that. So that leaves 23% of children who are growing up with both parents. I mean, that is beyond. I mean, there was a study that UNICEF did of 40, um, 40, um, I think they were low to middle income nations and Thailand scored the worst of all of them in terms of children not with family. Wow. Now, I will I will say that those um, 20% that are not living with a biological parent are often living with grandma. Hmm. So, I mean, obviously there's that 120 children living in 700 orphanages, 120,000 living in 700 orphanage. 
But anyway, so um, divorce and family breakdown definitely is a push factor. Um, children affected by lack of access to education in local communities. I mean, I also talk to people who start dormitories, right, um, for children so they can access education. And I say, hey, have you ever thought about buying a truck? And perhaps you get a school bus or a truck. And because these kids don't, you know, can't go to school because they don't have transportation money instead of buying land and building a building, why don't you buy a truck? And then you could go into the villages, pick the kids up and transport them to school. And that would solve the transportation issue. You know, so there's ways to think creatively to deal with issues like lack of access to education. Um, children left behind because of migration. So in Thailand, there's a lot of families that are separated. Many, I wouldn't say many, but some even work for the government. So, you know, the dad lives in one province and the family lives in another. But um, but there's a lot of, obviously, Thailand is a middle-income country and you have Myanmar, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, not far away, um, that the borders are quite porous. And so children come across um, refugees. We have a refugee situation in Thailand as well. So um, that's another factor. And then we see, this is a really interesting one in Thailand, is children at risk of human trafficking. This one really bothers me. Don't get me on my soapbox. But so many orphanages open up because children are at risk of trafficking. And basically, children who are at risk of trafficking are poor. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I think it's better to invest our money and our resources in the communities teaching them about what is human trafficking and how to prevent your child from being trafficked. And in those very small cases, this was more in the 70s and 80s when children were being trafficked. It's not so much anymore, but it is such a sexy word, right? Like I'm opening up a home for children who are at risk of trafficking. So you get lots of money to do that. And, and most people do that with a super good heart. They just don't, again, have the knowledge to understand that that's not really an issue here. It's a very small issue. And if children are at risk of trafficking, I mean, genuinely at risk, not just because they're poor, um, then surely they belong in a safe place. Um, and then uh, children from unwanted pregnancies often end up in the ba baby's homes in Thailand. Um, I won't go through the rest of the list. There's like 12 other yeah. things. But um, you know, displacements, disabilities, um, emergencies, national disasters, I mean, incarceration, there's all sorts of reasons. But when you look at all of those reasons, 80% of them really boil down to poverty. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Journey Home Community Learning Platform. Journey Home offers multiple online courses from global child welfare professionals that you've heard here on Think Orphan. You can learn safeguarding from SFAC, family reunification from Agape Children's Ministry, trauma-informed care from Deborah Gray, and even follow along with Francis Chan as he engages orphan care practitioners and care leavers in Kenya. I'm especially excited to tell you about the newly released course, Reintegrating Children with Disabilities with Akisa Ministries. Did you know that children with disabilities are 17 times more likely to end up living in an institution? The reality is that working with orphans and vulnerable children will essentially guarantee that you'll interact with children that have disabilities. This course will equip you and your team to serve those precious kids well and help them return to family. 
Like all courses on Journey Home, enrollment is completely free. This is just one of the ways that we support organizations to better care for children and families. To access the Akisa course or any other Journey Home training, visit 1millionhome.com front slash journey home. That's one, like the numeral, one, 1millionhome.com front slash journey home. Join individuals and teams from over 80 countries worldwide that are on the platform as you continue to strive to love and serve children and families with excellence. Yeah, and if you want to go deeper with Kimberly on any of this stuff, you know, we will have her contact info in the, assuming you're all right with that, Kimberly, I assume you are. Um, Particularly in Thailand or the surrounding region, if you have questions about these things, if if you're doing ministry there, if you are thinking about that, if you're thinking about going overseas to do stuff, please reach out to Kimberly and and learn about this stuff because she is, as we've already established, um, as much of an expert on this stuff as there is, right? And experts a funny term, but you've been there. Yeah, I know. I'm expert. I, I like the word. Expert, I'm old, but you're 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 seasoned. She's seasoned. Veteran, experienced. Experience. veteran. And sound so much more polite. Yes. So I I just I just want to say, you know your stuff, and people, um, and you're very humble in that, and and I think that that's why you probably haven't you know been on more things like this but i think it's really important for you to be able to share and for people to be able to contact uh you to be able to just you know ask these questions because i think that's if nothing else has been said here it's to to learn what are the real reasons what are solutions that can work and i think that's in in tandem we're going to talk a little bit later about you know collective work in collaboration you know which is kind of the core of why we do this show really is to be able to hear from each other to say Oh, a truck, a bus, but I, 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 this isn't, this isn't really, you know, necessarily on the script, but, but it's something that I think goes to this point. What would you say, how much of what people do in the field? And I know this is, this is obviously, I'm not looking for percentage, but just what you've seen over the years, Mm. how much of what's done is for donor retention and how much is done for actually what's the best for the communities okay um first of all let's just get the foundation that 99 percent of people that come here to work and especially open orphanages have a heart of gold Mm -hmm. 100 yeah you know that that's understood right so anything i say i just want to keep that as the kind of the thread woven through the conversation um, because I'm very opinionated about these things. But, you know, I can be because I started out uh, 40 years ago doing that, you know, working in an orphanage. Um, I think the donor card is so, um, it's the carrot, right? That's like right there, ready, like dangling before us. And so many times I've even seen the donor um, basically influence the way the programs run because they have an idea and because the donor said that then we have to go with that even though the the person running the program doesn't think it's in the best interest of the child it's you know but they do it because it's money and they need the money um so i think um i'm not sure if i'm answering your question right but i i definitely think 
we have to educate donors. And, and I know you talk about this on your show. I mean, this is not, no news to you, but um, we definitely have to educate donors and get them to understand <clears throat> that strengthening families is what's most needed in, I would assume, every country in the world. I mean, I know, I know Thailand, but it's what's most needed. And so when an orphanage director starts to think about maybe there's another way, especially, you know, we train a lot of NGOs and we train a lot of, I wouldn't say a lot of orphanages. We're just starting to train more orphanages um, on how, you know, we, the seminar is called Caring for Orphans and Vulnerable Children. So when they come, they want to learn about what's the best way to do that. And then they find out, well, they figure out themselves. We don't tell them orphanages are wrong, you know, but after three days, they're starting to think, what is the best interest of children? And then how do I present that to donors? It was funny. In one of our trainings, I saw this girl in the back crying and I went up to her at the coffee break and I said, honey, what's going on? And she goes, I just got a million dollars to build, buy land and build an orphanage in Padilla. And she goes, I don't know what to do. I've just spent three days with this training and now I realize this isn't the best thing I should do with this resources. And, but this is what the donor wants to do. You know, I'm like a million dollars. I think about what could I do with a million dollars? <laughs> I mean, I could do a lot, but um, anyway, so that, you know, it, it's hard. It's really hard for people on the ground when the donor is very opinionated and has their own vision. And so, I don't know, you have a backbone to talk about. No, that, yeah, that, that's, and that's kind of what I, what I was getting at is, is that I'm glad you went there because that's the key, I think, for a lot of this, not the key, it's not, there's no silver bullet, but one of the keys is that donor, and, you know, it's really in the West. It's educating the Western donor, you're yes. not, first of all, I mean, how much of the money that's given to nonprofits is earmarked to, you have to do it for this. Right. As opposed to, hey, you know what? I trust you. Yes. Do the best with this money, that million dollars, do the best with this that you know, based on your expertise in that area, your experience mm-hmm. in that area, take this and go. As yes. opposed to, hey, I want to build a school and I want my name on a plaque. Or I want, you know, the orphanage with my name on one of the dorms or whatever. Right. <laughs> and look, like you said, I mean, I don't want, I mean, we're not judging character. We're not judging art all that but like you said there's there's that tension of when you get that and we're all been part of nonprofits for a very long time so yes. we get it yes. i actually taught at a high school class yesterday on this and i was talking to him i go is are there customers does a nonprofit have customers does a nonprofit have stakeholders does a nonprofit you know and, and it's it's totally different than right. a for-profit structure yet these guys didn't tend to think like, oh, I, I'm going to give the money. Therefore, I'm running. The-. No, that's not how it works or shouldn't be. But un- unfortunately, sometimes it is how it actually works. But anyway, that's not what we're talking about today. But we did talk about that for a little bit. Um, I do want to go deeper into you mentioned family strengthening. And I know that's the core yes. of what you do at the end of the day. I mean, all this stuff going together, keeping families together, family strengthening is what you do. And we often use these terms without really defining what they are. Right. And, you know, a lot of people don't want to define family at all. Like and what so for doing family strengthening and we don't want to define family, then what are we strengthening if we don't want to do that? And so I really want to just kind of just dig into this a little bit with you. And um, what what uh, do you mean by family strengthening? What does that look like? And um, how are you leveraging family strengthening as a central component of your work? A step ahead. Okay, good questions. 
Um, okay, so for me, well, for not me, for our organization, yeah. we always think of family strengthening services. They work to increase the capacity of adults in order to improve outcomes in home environments for children, right? So we build the capacity of adults in order to improve outcomes for children. And the goal of child-centered family strengthening services is to empower the family by addressing areas that put a child in the home at risk. We have to provide resources where they're lacking. We have to build up skills so the family can sustain these changes independently and long into the future. I mean, sustainability is so important in family strengthening, right? And I think it was Rebecca Knapp who came up with the five different levels of family strengthening. Are you familiar with these? The, the I mean, I'll I'll share them. Them. so the first one, um, and, and we work in all five, well, not mostly all five of these. We work mostly in number three, but I'll go through them for you so you kind of get a yeah. broad picture of family strengthening. The first one is responsive services, right? So this is like the child protection intervention. So when a child is at significant risk of harm, or perhaps the abuse has already taken place, then, or there's significance and concerns for the child's well being, that child is often placed in temporary alternative care while the family receives support and strengthening to ensure that when the child returns, he or she will be safe. So that responsive service is that crisis intervention that's really important in family strengthening. And then we have two, the remedial services. Those are the intensive services offered to families in crises who are at high risk of separation. So they're designed to help them. Maybe the abuse hasn't happened yet, but maybe a neighbor's concerned, maybe a teacher has called the welfare department. So they're designed to help families overcome the risk factors and prevent the removal or relinquishment of the child. And then there's three, the one that we work in, um, prevention and early intervention services, right? So these are the services that uh, provide early support to children and their caregivers to prevent problems from occurring or address them early to prevent them from worsening. Then you have targeted social welfare, which are government services deemed necessary and are designated for those very vulnerable populations like um, children with disabilities, children living below the poverty line, children in kinship care, foster care. They, they get specific services to their, those families. Then you have universal services. So those are the non-targeted, baseline services available to all resident children, even including refugees and migrant children, young people and their families. So they are crucial to the achievement of fundamental child rights. And they typically include, I mean, at a minimum, health, education, and birth registration services. So those are kind of the, the broad view of what is family strengthening. Those are like the five areas. And oftentimes, families in need of that first one, responsive and remedial and or prevention services, they might need to learn how to be connected to the universal services that are available to them. I'm always surprised how many of the families in our program don't even know what the government offers, that there's all these great programs that the government offers, but they've, they've never made the connection. So sometimes it takes an NGO or a program like ours to be able to connect grandma to these services. So at step ahead, 
we mostly focus on number three, the prevention early event intervention services. And it, it's through our flagship program that we're quite proud. We've been running for nearly 18 years called Keeping Families Together. And uh, But Phil, in 2022, um, we finished drafting a beautiful family strengthening handbook, which also covers crisis intervention because we've been delivering these trainings all over the country, some internationally, but we've tried to just stick to Thailand. Um, and so many uh, organizations that we've been working with don't really want to run a very 18, our, our family strengthening programs 18 months long. They don't need an 18 month long program. There's a crisis in a family. Um, you, you know how when people are living in under-resourced communities and then they're already you know, very vulnerable because of poverty. And then when a crisis happens, that's kind of the push factor that's gonna, they're gonna end up maybe separated. So we thought we really need a handbook for people to understand what to do in these crises situations. And so our staff studied 10 organizations in Thailand that deliver family strengthening services and organized all their promising practices into a book for caseworkers. It is so beautiful. I mean, the design, I, I didn't do this so I can talk about how beautiful it is. And I didn't write it. I didn't, I was the editor, but I didn't write it. I didn't design it, but it is a beautiful handbook. And um, we have shared it with some people overseas. And I, I do believe because it's very universal in terms of case management um, and it covers all, you know, the human trafficking, abuse, substance abuse, physical abuse, sexual, like it covers all the issues um, and what to do in those cases, in crises for families. Um, so several people have said, oh, they want the book, even though they live in Uganda, for example, um, because they would just take out the chapter of Thai government services. Um, it's also woven throughout the family strengthening handbook is stories of strength. Um, we at Step Ahead, we are super big on um, uh, ABCD, asset-based mm. uh, community development, right? And so we always start with what is strong, not what is wrong, and looking at coaching as opposed to mentoring that these families have what they need already. We just have to draw it out of them, right? And so um, our stories of strength, of course, are very tied. But for each chapter in the book, you could use a story of strength from Uganda or from Romania. Or um, so anyway, I think the book is going to be very useful. I mean, we do have a three day training that goes with it because we feel like, you know, the core values of um, don't be a white savior. I'm not sure that's a core value, but uh, <laughs> we could call it a value. Um, the values of, you know, uh, strength based is important or different values. So we kind of put that into the training other besides just talking about the book. So, yeah, that's good so, stuff. Yeah. Well, we'll have to definitely figure out how to get that resource into the hands of, of people. And so people definitely check out the show notes uh, that go along with this episode so you can see all that Step Ahead is doing and resources that are available as you also seek to strengthen families. You know, one of the things, um, Kimberly, that I want to get down into a little bit more as well um, you know, you guys have had, you know, significant impact in Thailand, but you, you haven't done it by working in a silo. Uh, a lot of what you guys have done has been, you know, innovative and and hitting the right interventions at the right points, doing a lot of prevention work. 
and Step Ahead has so much to be proud of. Um, and at the same time, you guys are finding opportunities to collaborate and partner with others within the country to kind of uh, make that an exponential impact in, in a lot of ways. Can you share with us, you know, how interagency collaboration has helped you guys, you know, better reach orphans and vulnerable kids? Oh, sure, sure. So, um, like I said earlier, we had this super audacious vision, all children in Thailand growing up in safe and nurturing families. And we recognize that we cannot see this happen on our own and without collaboration. I mean, to start with, if we just look at faith, Thailand's 93% Buddhist, 4% Muslim, 1% Christian. And the other 1% is like half animist, half Hindu. So as a Christian organization, we recognize that we must work with all faiths, right? So that's like foundational number one, where 1% Christian isn't going to really make, it's not possible to to have all children and families with 1% Christian, even if all the 1% Christians were um, fostering and adopting, which they're not. But anyway, so we also know that in order to see this dream come true, it's going to take all levels of society, right? I mean, it's an audacious audacious vision. And so we have to start at that micro level, right? Where we're working directly with individuals and families. I mean, that's how we started out to ensure that they have the accesses to services in order to keep families together. And then you have to work on the meso level, right? Working with community groups and organizations schools, businesses, hospitals, and other nonprofits, because those are the services that families need. So without collaborating and connecting with them, it's, you can't really see this vision. And then the macro level, working towards large scale systematic change, or, you know, some of us call it care reform, um, making sure the laws and the legislation are done in a way that is going to be in the best interest of children that child rights is taken into consideration and those kinds of things so so when you're looking at micro meso macro levels of social work um it's really important that we we tap into that and so for us we're aware of all these levels and we we recognize that we have to engage them Mm. wherever we can and um so I know I, I might talk a little bit about if it's okay how collaboration for us uh, we believe creates collective impact. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was my next question because okay. I love col- the collective impact model. So so okay. feel free. Yeah. Okay. So um, we step ahead is very involved in um, networks and associations. So like to name a few. We are a founding member of this group called ACT, Alternative Care Thailand, which is a secular group made up of about 15 organizations, um, organizations like UNICEF, Save the Children, um, some Christian organizations as well. Um, and so we are all working together towards this goal. We have another organization called Families First Alliance, which is a group of people that um, are looking at doing family strengthening and want to do family strengthening. So. They come together regularly for trainings. Uh, we have SFAD, Strong Families Alliance Thailand, which used to be Thailand Without Orphans, you know, from the World Without Orphans movement. We changed the name because it didn't really work in Thai language to Strong Families Alliance Thailand. And then we work with a refugee group, the Coalition for Stateless Persons and Refugees. Um, but 
As we all know, society is full of increasingly complex social issues that prove challenging for any single organization to solve on its own. And the the tongue-twister collective impact framework is based on the understanding that no single policy, no government entity, no organization can tackle or solve these deep entrenched social problems alone, right? We can't. And so collective impact calls for a long-standing commitment between multiple organizations or agencies on those different levels, all working together towards a common goal. And so at Step Ahead, we believe that that kind of collaboration creates collective impact. So typically, these initiatives have five conditions that together produce alignment and lead to powerful results. Did you want me to share those or? or? I, I would love, I, I, so okay. for, for, <laughs> for those that are not familiar with collective impact, it, it, mm-hmm. it basically has it basically has five points. Uh, this was something that I was talking about at KFO Summit and I definitely saw a lot of light bulbs coming on because okay. when we talk about, you know, issues that are facing orphaned and vulnerable children, when we talk about poverty and its effect on vulnerable families, Right. These can become very intractable problems. So I would love for you to dive further into all of this okay. because the collective impact framework is uh, it, it it gets into more kind of a, the ops and the metrics of what it means to truly collaborate and how to right. at, a, at a community or even statewide level. Mm-hmm. create lasting change um that is systemic so so uh yes. that's 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 brandon's uh primer for our listeners but kimberly please okay. keep going sure. and um, what i'll do is i'll use our act coalition as the example for these five um i guess what do they call them the five conditions that you need to have right so the first one is starting with a common agenda right So that means coming together to collectively define the problem and create a shared vision to solve it. You know, so you meet together with the stakeholders that are part of the coalition or the network or association, whatever you call it, um, ours called the coalition, alternative care coalition. And for those on the call that might not even be familiar or listening to this podcast, that might not be familiar with alternative care, I assume everyone knows what that means, right? Uh, yes, alternative care. Uh, so we, we talk about it quite a bit. So care that is alternative to the child's family of origin. So anyway, so our... We don't normally make people define this much, Kimberly, but we just figured if we have the godmother of family-based care, we're going to make her say, what is family strengthening? What is so? So yes. <laughs> it's kind of boring. I'm sorry, but... Um... Not at all. Anyway, um, so, you know, you start with that common agenda and you define the problem and then you create a vision to solve it. And this takes some time because you have different people at the table, different faiths, different, um, the organizations have different visions themselves, um, but they all believe children belong in families, right? So you joined for that purpose. Um, And then the second thing that's really important is the establishing the shared measurement, right? The monitoring and evaluation piece, which nobody likes to talk about, but it is a very important piece because we have to agree how we're going to track the progress in the same way in order to see the improvement, in order to measure the improvement, right? We need to be able to monitor 
along the way, the activities that we're doing to make sure they're actually having impact. So that when we do the evaluation at the end, we can say, yes, this is evidence-based, this program worked, and this is, we can prove it to you. So that's really important. And, um, you know, right now, a step ahead is working with the Thai government in a collaborative, okay, I know I was talking about ACT earlier, our alternative care coalition, but I will just throw in, we're doing a pilot project with the Thai government to deinstitutionalize um, their orphanages. And so we're starting with the first one, which has like 140 kids, and it's three NGOs, Step Ahead, Care for Children, and Saha Thai Foundation with the government. And um, it's been really hard to get them to buy into monitoring and evaluation. They just don't see the importance of it. It's like, oh, I'm sure it'll work. We'll just evaluate at the end. We're like, no, we actually have to monitor every phase of this project and and evaluate after every phase. Monitor throughout and evaluate. So anyway, that establishing shared measurement is super important. Then the third one is fostering mutually reinforcing activities, right? So coordinating collective efforts to maximize the end results. So for ACT, Alternative Care Thailand, our coalition, we meet, um, I would say every three years, we do a um, like a strategic action plan, right? So we come together and we we look at where's the government going? How can we get a part, be a part of that? Um, what activities do we need to new, do to move the political will needle further towards the goal, right? And so we need to come up with the activities that are going to push that needle towards reform. Um, so that's important, you know, coordinating collective efforts. And then the fourth one is encouraging continuous communication. So we all know that trust is the basis of any relationship, any organization. If you don't have trust um, in leadership, in the programs themselves, then it's it's really hard to work. So building trust in relationships among all participants. So good facilitation, um, good communication. I mean, we have uh, in Thailand, we have something called line groups. I guess it's like WhatsApp, but, you know, it's just groups for different projects under this coalition um, for you know, one line group for the entire coalition to be able to be chatting back and forth. Um, so communication is really, really important. And then we have a coordinator who's able to go and visit the projects or visit the organizations that um, work together. And then we have a, a retreat. We'll actually call it the ACT Advance every year where we get together to review where have we come from, where are we going kind of a thing to to keep moving forward. And then the final thing, number five, is creating a strong backbone, right? So you want to have a team that's uh, a leadership team of that group. I mean, you can have flat leadership, but there's still got to be somebody that's making sure the meetings happen, orchestrating the work of the group. So that's really important. So um, to have that. Uh, but anyway, through ACT, this coalition, we have seen the alternative care roadmap, the national policy happened in this past year. So in February of 2023, February 7th, we had a conference for 170 senior government officials. And they, uh, well, we hosted the conference, but we wanted them to celebrate their roadmap. Now, we were very involved in drafting the national roadmap for alternative care, but we 
we we are always going to take the back seat. So it's their roadmap, and they were also involved. But um, so we're able to highlight their success uh, as a result of our group working together. So we've been able to see that. We've been able to see incredible research done through coming together as the ACT Coalition. Um, we've been able to count how many orphanages really are in Chiang Mai province. I mean, Chiang Mai is the si- size of Philadelphia, 1.6 million people. So if you can imagine uh, over 200 orphanages in Philadelphia, plus 200 and some dormitories for children who don't have a, you know, need a place to live to go to school, which are kind of de facto or orphanages. But anyway, so being able to really do the research that's important for the government to make decisions, because the government often doesn't have money to do research or surveys. And so it's really important for us to do that. Um, anyway, so our ACT Coalition has had some pretty exciting um accomplishments as a result of working together. We we have a saying, leave your logo and your ego at the door. So when we come into like this Friday, we have an ACT meeting. So these 15 organizations are going to come together. And the first thing we do is we leave our logo and our ego at the door. Because when we come to that table together, whether you're Buddhist or Muslim or Christian, whether you work for Save the Children, UNICEF or small NGOs, like step ahead, we are all equal at the table and we're all here for the children. So I think, um, yeah, I mean, we have seen this collaboration create collective impact in a huge way in Thailand. I love it. That's so good, Kimberly. Yeah. Oh, come on, Phil. Unmute, buddy. There we go. That is some, I was pushing the wrong button. That's a a rookie mistake there. I was so enthralled with the conversation that, uh, you know, I was, I was starting to talk before, but the good news is we got that on a different recording. So if you want to use that, use it. Otherwise, I'm just going to say it now. That's some really good stuff. I just love that. I mean, I, I was, I love so much just, I, I was so enthralled in it because I'm thinking of the different things I'm working on. And what's missing in those things and in the different, you know, I'm all about collaboration, collective impact. That's, that's what I do. Um, right. Going through those going, okay, what, you know, cause you got to remind yourself of those things as you're doing these probably you kind of get, I, I, I'm going to speak for myself. I'm not saying anybody else does this, but I get ahead of myself. Right. I, I, I'm impatient. I want to get to the collective impact without all those steps. <laughs> Right. Come on. Let's go. I want impact. Right. And I think I don't think I'm alone in that. I think a lot of people going out want to just make it happen. But as you said, measurement is boring and and most people don't. And it's hard and you don't want to do it. And yet it needs to be done. And I think the the leadership part, you know, people don't like that. Well, we're not we're all flat leadership. But I I was at a a recent leadership um, training and one of the guys said something that was really hit hard. He goes, you're all leaders but you need a facilitator. Yeah. I really like that. He just used, he goes, just call it a facilitator. And that way no one gets there. No one, yes. you know, gets there, whatever, uh, you know, gets flustered about it. They just say, oh, okay. God. Yeah. I, and my, a lot of people don't want to be the facilitator. They're like, okay, that, that actually, I don't want to do that. I want to be the, I want, we all want to lead, but we don't want to facilitate necessarily. So I really like that. And it, and it's true. You need someone to call the meetings. You need someone to set agendas. You need someone to make sure it keeps going 
keep the momentum going, all that stuff is, is just really important. So that was that was some uh, gold there, folks. So I encourage you, if you didn't catch that, go back, listen to that. Um, that last answer in particular, if you're working collectively, collaborate, if you want to collaborate with others, we use that term so much. We say it, we say it to leave your Legos and logos at the door. And then we get there and we talk about how we want, you know, the thing I'm working, I'm working on a project now where it's like, look, no one's going to get credit for this. We're going to call it something completely different than any other organization. There will be no shirts with sponsors on it. There will be no one speaking on behalf of any organization at this thing. It will be a collective work that will be truly collaborative for the glory of God. That's why we're doing it. That's, that's it. If someone's going to get credit, that's it. Right. So anyway, um, I could, you know, that talk about soapboxes. That's, that's a soapbox I can get on every day, but we have a couple questions. Um, you've listened to this podcast at some point. So, you know, the last couple questions we ask everybody, but the first is what have you read, watched, or listened to that has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children and families with excellence? Okay. Well, um, I have a couple things. I don't know if that's allowed. If I'm going to get kicked off. That is allowed. You are allowed to use a couple things. Um, that is okay. Okay. I don't want to sound super spiritual saint or anything, but I will have to say when we studied the Bible mm-hmm. and we found those seven themes that were woven throughout scripture about caring for orphans and vulnerable children, I mean, I was sold. I mean, yeah. it, it really pushed me to to do that well and to the glory of God. And then this is a funny, maybe not even a funny one, but shortly after we started our Keeping Families Together program, I read Craig Greenfield's first book, Urban Halo, mm-hmm. back in 2007. So I guess we were running our program for a couple of years then, right? And he, and I, I didn't have words for everything that was going on in my head. And so that book, it's like he articulated so well all the thoughts and ideas that were swirling around my head. I mean, I actually wrote, wrote him today. I'm like, Craig, when did you publish that book? I know I read it the first year it came out. And he's like, 2007. I'm like, okay, that that's how long it's been. And so something I quote all the time in all the training we do is what from his book that says, when will we learn to spend our money keeping orphans in their communities rather than spending it to take them out? Uh-huh. Right. I mean, that is just such a great quote. And um, so really, I I would have to say he's really mentored me. I mean, after I read his book, I wrote to him in Cambodia. I'm like, you're my neighbor. You need to get your butt over here. (laughs) And so he came like he doesn't know who I am from nothing. You know, he came and did a training and people, you know, thought he was crazy. But um, because, you know, he's pretty radical. And back then, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, yeah people were not um, really happy about the whole, mm-hmm. what are you saying? My orphanage is not the best thing. And so, um, yeah, I would say the Bible and um, yeah, Urban Halo is probably, well, I mean, it was the first one. I mean, I have a whole bookshelf of your book. I mean, I have, you know, tons of books I've read, but it was the first thing that really inspired me yeah, to, absolutely. to go for it. 
Yeah, and uh, you know we've had Craig on a couple times, and he's still kind of crazy. We're you know that's why we love him, right? I mean, we're all kind of crazy, right? You know, awesome, man. And uh, he, you know, he says it the way it is. He doesn't care if he's stepping on toes. I think sometimes he purposely steps on toes to, to oh, make the point. You know, so yeah, um, yes. and uh, and that's good. We need we need those disruptors, and Craig's definitely a disruptor, and in a in a good way. In a I think. Um, you know, and he does things. I, I think I don't think anybody would say, yeah, I agree with everything that Craig's ever said. Like, I, I mm-hmm. think on purpose, everything. If you said that, he'd probably get mad at you. Like, I, I say things sometimes <laughs> just to rock the boat, you know, um, right. but he makes you think. And that's what I love about him. I love about his books. Urban Halo. He actually bought the rights to it. It's free. It's on the side and it's free. And that I love that. That just speaks to who he is. He's a guy who says, look, I'm here to help these children. I'm here to help families. I'm here to help um, people flourish. And I can get behind a guy like that every day of the week. So uh, definitely check that out if you haven't already. Uh, if you're doing, if you listen to this podcast, you definitely need to read that book. Um, yeah. And his, his other books as well. Out. I'll give a shout out to his wife because she is the power behind the Craig, I have to say. I mean, she is just brilliant and humble, and I've learned so much from her as well. So, yeah, I could have just described my wife with that too. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, it's always the case. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> they said they said a couple of things. One is all those things you said, and the other thing behind every successful man is a wife rolling her eyes. Uh, and and uh, so, um, yes, and I think those things are absolutely true. Um, all right. So the last question, what person has most impacted your thinking on how we can love orphan and vulnerable children with excellence? And I know this is a very unfair question, given the fact that you've done this for so long, but we're still going to ask it. So. Oh, no, I, I, I there's so many, to be honest, yeah. but I would have to say probably Dr. Dahlia Pop. Mm. Um, I first heard her speak at the UN in Geneva at the first international conference on alternative care. Were you there? Did you go there? I think I, I met Nicole there. But I, anyway, uh, um, so she was speaking and, you know, she's got that voice. So that's, you kind of just die voice. But um, everything she was saying just resonated with my soul and my spirit. And so there was a long queue, of course, to talk to her after she finished speaking. And I just you know, was humble in that queue and I had my little name card and I was like going to shove it in her face. And what I really wanted to say is, will you be my best friend? And <laughs> so, um, so I gave her my name card and I said, you know, I'm from Thailand and we really need you. And um, anyway, she wrote me and responded. And I think that was in 2015. So that would have been seven or eight years ago, right? She has been so committed to Thailand mm-hmm. and the cause and really mentored me. Um, she has really mentored the Thai government. So we've invited her several times to come. She was our speaker at the national conference in February. She was our speaker last year at the national conference, the government conference. Um, she has just, I mean, she's just a wealth of knowledge. I mean, she's done this in 30 countries, right? She's transitioned government care in 30 countries. So she is really my inspiration and I'm grateful for her generosity to mentor me and yeah just to I mean actually I got a text from her today she didn't even know what I was talking to you but she's like how are you because I was in the hospital with some weird virus in COVID but some other virus a few weeks ago um but anyway yeah so she she has probably been the person that's most 
impacted me and Craig for sure. But yeah, so many. I mean, I I'm sure you could keep it. saying and as well, but yeah, they is pretty solid. Um, and I, I do want to say folks, we, you know, for those of you who have been listening for a while, you know this, but if you're just kind of new to the show, Delia, we had a two part episode with her. Um, it was mm-hmm. in the fifties. I don't remember exactly which, but it was episode 50 something and 50 something other, um, that, uh, we, we had with Delia and those are two of my favorite episodes for sure. Mm-hmm. I remember the first time I met her, you know, she's this little powerhouse and she was talking and Sarah Gasserik says, oh, she's like one of my favorite people in the world. And I'm like, who is that? Like, is she, there's this big group around her and I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I have no idea who this is, but I need to, I need to learn obviously, you know? And so it was just this, and then we've struck, you know, and she's such an amazing woman, as you said, just caring just someone who loves well and and she has so accessible like you know as well and so if you have questions she'll be like all over it you know i went over to london we had lunch um and uh she went out of her way to come and meet me where i was and it was just really yeah Yeah. absolutely absolutely and so and that's it she's super busy and yet super accessible and that's what you find with a lot of these people and so folks out there if you're like oh i don't want to reach out to someone just reach out because most people will absolutely respond and help because that's why we do what we do if you're passionate about this and you want to learn we're all over it so do that and you know kimberly go ahead you were on you were saying something i was gonna say i was gonna say you know it just it takes some guts to do that like if you want to be mentored by somebody you have to be willing to shiver in line hoping they're going to take your card and call you back because if they give you their card you know it's at their whim and same with crap you know i emailed him i'm like i read your book you live next door get your butt over here we need you you know and so it it, it's you need to be brave 100 percent. yeah well that's how i mean that's how this podcast happens that's how in pursuit have i mean i with craig i went out to phnom penn and just said hey can we meet and he goes yeah come over for lunch Spent, mm. you know, the afternoon in his house. We had lunch together with his team. He showed me all the different trainings he was doing, how he was doing. He's sharing like all the information about everything. And it was great. And again, it's just a, oftentimes a text, an email, a phone call away from mm-hmm. people that, you know, and don't, don't, you know, call them and say, hey, can you come and meet me in California next week? Like, that's not going to work. But like, hey, I- with realistic expectations and just say, hey, can we, can we, I'd love for you to be able to, help me out on this thing that I'm working on and have a reason. Yeah. Don't just be like fanboy going, Hey, you know, I want to talk to you. Like if there's a reason, then people are more than willing. 99% of the time, I would say, especially in this space, I don't, yeah. I don't know anybody in this space. That's like, Ooh, I'm an ego person who thinks I'm big time. Cause I do this and I've, I've yet to meet that person. So I don't think that person exists. And if they do, I don't think they're going to be doing it very long because right. this isn't an, uh, a space that uh, you get a lot of, street cred for you know you're not going to get famous doing this stuff and uh and um but uh but it's people that want to um really help kids families communities flourish bring a little bit of shalom to the communities we're in and if that's your goal man i assume it is if you're listening to this podcast um let's go after it together so anyway thank you so much kim Uh, i i just appreciate you so much um i i am uh so encouraged by you by your life by your by your humility by your um just passion for what you do so just thank you 
Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Brandon, for helping me with all the technical difficulties. <laughs> it was awesome to have you on. Thanks, Kimberly. Okay, bless you guys. I'll see you at KFO, right? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Always there. See you then. And Garage Band, three, two, one. Well, that was, you know, is is we talked to people of all of all of all stripes, and uh, with Kimberly, she really is such a pioneer in this space and has been at it for so long. Uh, I don't. I, I'm trying to think, like, as somebody that works in family based care, and I could like trace back, like, okay, yeah, I've been doing this for a decade or whatever. For somebody that has as much experience as she has and has worked with the people that she's had, you know, towards the end, they're talking about Delia and Craig and yeah, yeah. I mean, she's, we always say, oh, she's the real deal. She might be the realest deal that we've had in a long time, <laughs> uh, Kimberly. So, uh, so good. So good to, to hear from her. And, uh, yeah. What's, what, what stuck out to you, Phil? Oh man. I mean, like you said, four decades, it's like, there's so much. I mean, I feel like we went long on this episode and I feel like we were just scratching the surface and just getting started. I'm like, we got to get her back on for sure. And just tell stories, just hear stories of, yeah, of lessons she's learned and, you know, the hard way. I mean, as she said, she started out doing it, all these things she's telling people not to do now. Right. And that, that's the most, it reminds me of, you know, the conversation we had with Mike Doris, like just when you have that much experience, it's just, hey, I get it. I get it. When they say I get it, like they get it. They lived it. They know it. Right. And that's that's that more than anything stuck out to me with her. Um, and it, it did. I just kept going back thinking of, it seems like the people that have been doing it the longest are the most humble. Right. And the most just kind of meek about it and, and careful about saying like, this is the way or this is the it's just like she's like hey the only way we're gonna do that i love how she's been doing it for so long so many people they were it's like oh then you could just go and do it she's like collective impact collaboration like we have to do it to, like i i right. need you you need like the longer you've been doing it the more you know 100 percent that's the that's the way it has to be done and so yeah. that's that's what i just i loved about that interview i mean i loved a lot about it but that was the biggest thing for me for sure. No, it, and it, it, I mean, honestly, we could, we could, we could almost call this episode like the definition of family care, you know, because they just hit on so many different things and even just her understanding of this type of work and all that goes into it was just, was just so comprehensive, comprehensive enough that I don't, I don't think we need too much of an outro. I think no, I agree. Uh, uh, Urban Halo, that's a good recommendation. We had Craig on here just a few months ago talking about his yep. most recent book. All three of his books are fantastic. So that's a good recommendation. Uh, he was also in season, season one. Uh, Craig was in season one talking about, he talked about Urban Halo. He talked yep. about uh, Subversive uh, Jesus. Was Subversive Jesus. Yep. That was his first one was Subversive Jesus. And, uh, you know, I I can't, you know, and then we talked about Delia in those two episodes. So we had the episodes for Craig. You got a lot of homework, folks. Yeah, Craig's episode. You got Delia's episodes. And, you know, check out Urban Halo. It's a, it's an easy, I mean, it's a thick, tough read, but it's an easy read at the same time. It's shorter, um, but it's story and it's, it's Craig's journey to where he got to be where he is. So you really get some insight into who Craig is and why he is the fireball that he is um, awesome. in the, in this space. So, all right, folks. Well, with all that, thank you. 
for being a part of this. Thank you for just your engagement in this. Thank you for caring. Thank you for thinking deeply. Um, thank you for wanting to do things with excellence. And I do pray that, that you take all that you're learning from this show, all that you're learning from the resources that we share with you and that our guests share with you, and you use all of it to help you to love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great couple weeks. We hope you've enjoyed today's Think Orphan podcast. For all the information in this week's podcast, please visit us at thinkorphan.com. You too can be part of the conversation. Send your questions to info at thinkorphan.com or join us on the Think Orphan Facebook page. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us again on the next edition of Think Orphan.